welcome one, welcome all to episode number 118 of the Sports Kiki Podcast. My name, of course, is Alex Reamer. Happy Saturday. Happy Saturday to you all. Indeed, happy Memorial Day weekend. MDW 2022, baby. We've made it. And there's no better way, as far as I'm concerned, to spend a few minutes on your long holiday weekend than listening to yours truly on the Sports Kiki Podcast. As always, we have a few stories I want to touch on this week, but I want to start off with uh, a great note in terms of Pride Nights in Major League Baseball. We've talked about it in the past on the show, about how I think Major League Baseball has a special relationship with the LGBTQ community and Pride Month because a lot of the teams' Pride Nights are in June, which of course is Pride Month. The Dodgers are taking on the Giants for their Pride Night this year. Both teams will be wearing special rainbow hats, which is not surprising because both teams have long and illustrious histories of supporting the LGBTQ community. But we also found out this week, Sid Ziegler has a story on Outsports, that the Dodgers have sold over 15,000 tickets for their Pride Night. That is believed to be a pro sports record, and that just shows you that doing Pride Nights isn't just a nice thing to do, but... It's good business because LGBTQ people, gay people, we spend money, especially on things that cater to us. So the Dodgers, over 15,000 tickets sold for Pride Night, showing you that catering to the gays is good business. That's where the money is. We have money. We spend it. I mean, believe me. Uh, we certainly do that. So that's a cool story. We'll keep you updated on that, and we'll see uh, how many more tickets the Dodgers are able to sell. I actually will be going to my first ever Red Sox Pride Night in a couple weeks. June 15th, I believe, is the date. So that's an exciting thing, going to my flag football league. Uh, yeah, hard to believe I've never been to a Red Sox Pride Night, but uh, I'm looking forward to popping my cherry, my pride cherry, uh, this year, as they say. Um, so... The first big story that I wanted to talk about this week, I wrote about it on Outsports this past Thursday, is U.S. soccer has officially banned anti-LGBTQ chants. Now, we've talked about this several times before on the podcast about this major problem in international soccer with homophobic chants, specifically fans of Team Mexico who continually chant puto which is a Spanish gay slur. They chant it time and time again. They've chanted it for years. They've been sanctioned. They've been threatened with discipline. Fans have been barred from stadiums. The Mexican Soccer Federation has new stringent rules, but for whatever reason, they don't stop. And they've even taken their homophobic chants across country lines in the United States a few years ago. Uh, Team Mexico played Team USA at Soldier Field in a friendly, and four LGBTQ fans are suing the operators of Soldier Field, saying that they did not proper that they did not intervene and try to stop the homophobic chants that were directed towards them. That case is currently unfolding in federal court. I say that to say this, again, US soccer banning LGBTQ chants, and I think uh, we'll see this come to a head at Soldier Field just next week. So here's the story. Uh, A source close to U.S. soccer shared the policy with Outsports, and this one has a lot of teeth to it. Of course, policies are just policies. They need to be enforced in order to work, but as far as written policies go, 
This is a really good one. Uh, the penalties for clubs whose fans violate the edict are steep, including possible banishment from playing friendlies in the U.S. So here's the gist. Uh, discriminatory chants, which are defined as any derogatory chant relative to race, ethnicity, religion, sexual orientation, gender, are now strictly prohibited at U.S. stadiums. In order to host an international match in the U.S., promoters must agree to implement actions that prohibit, prevent, and eliminate discriminatory chants. Failure to address the matter could result in the promoter facing financial penalties and hosting bans. So how are the promoters going to be held accountable? This is why I say the policy really has some teeth to it, because it's not just a bunch of words, oh, if you do this, this will happen. They actually have a means to hold people accountable. U.S. soccer is mandated that promoters, people in charge of stadiums and venues who host matches, uh, mandating that they post a bond equal to the lesser of 10% of the anticipated paid gate of the match or $1 million. If the promoter doesn't take appropriate action to stop any bigoted chance, U.S. soccer will use the liquidated damages to promote diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging initiatives. In addition, promoters will not be able to hold international contests for two years after their first violation. The ban extends to five years after a second violation and becomes indefinite if a third violation occurs. So that means the stakes are very high for these venues that host international matches. I mentioned the Soldier Field story, fans suing the operators of Soldier Field over the repeated use of the homophobic chant Puto during a 2019 Gold Cup match between the U.S. and Mexico. Um, and as I mentioned, this policy really does take aims at fans of Mexico's national team. Uh, I mentioned they were chanting it at Soldier Field. They've chanted it uh, across country lines. Um, and as part of the process, this is the other thing with a lot of teeth to it, teams that play international matches in the U.S. must agree in writing that it will assist the promoter in ensuring discriminatory chants don't happen and cooperate in the disciplinary process if they do. If supporters of their team engage in discriminatory chants, the club will be banned from playing matches in the U.S. for two years. A second violation, much like the violation for promoters who don't stop the chance will result in a five-year ban and a third violation will generate you guessed it a permanent ban and i mentioned we may not have to wait long to see this policy be applied because mexico is facing off against ecuador at soldier field next week june 5th a repeat of what happened three years ago could result in a lot more than a lawsuit so that's the rundown and it's as i've mentioned a good policy with a lot of teeth to it and the stakes are high. You know, it's one thing to say, oh yeah, we don't want discriminatory chants. Don't chant homophobic slurs. That's against our stadium rules and regulations. Th that's fine. But those are just words. You need to hold people accountable. You need to have penalties. And these are harsh penalties for the promoters. I mean, these international soccer matches, these friendlies are significant money makers. So the onus is on them to stop these chants if they happen or else they'll be barred from hosting for at least two years and for the teams as well. I mean, if your fans are chanting homophobic slurs, you are punished. You cannot play a friendly in the U.S. for two years with your first violation, five years, second violation, permanent ban, third violation. So what do fans of Team Mexico do? Is chanting puto important enough where they're going to risk punishing their team 
and forcing their team to not play games in the U.S. for at least two years? Is it really that important to you? Well, we're going to find out thanks to this policy from U.S. Soccer. The second story I want to talk about this week, and this is the one that's in the show title, is uh, a Golden State Warriors reporter. The Warriors, by the way, are going to the NBA Finals. Uh, They clinched their spot on Thursday. Uh, A Warriors reporter named Mark Haynes had some old tweets dug up. At least 56 hateful tweets have resurfaced from his past. They're misogynistic. They're racist against all sorts of minority groups. And of course, they're anti-LGBTQ. Uh, he apologized this week after they resurfaced. Here's the story. Haynes works for the sports website Clutch Points. He's the brother of well-known national NBA reporter Chris Haynes. He called Warriors star Steph Curry a frontrunner last weekend when asked on Twitter about him celebrating the Warriors' playoff win over the Mavericks before their game was finalized. He was definitely frontrunning, Haynes said on Twitter Spaces. Shortly thereafter... Warriors fans began digging through his Twitter account, and as I mentioned, reposted at least 56 messages that insult everybody from Asian Americans to LGBTQ people. One in particular caught our eye. Haynes posted this in December 2010, quote, this gay dude looked up on my boy today. We was go have to beat the F word out of him. Haynes tweets, there are some really other Horrible ones. I mean, they're all horrible. Uh, You know, all these tweets were posted between 2010 and 2013. Uh, In one of them, he advises women to just let men rape them so they can walk out of the situation alive. I mean, really classy stuff here. Uh, Clutch Point has announced Haynes has been placed on indefinite leave. On Monday, he reactivated his Twitter account and apologized. I sincerely apologize to those that I've hurt, triggered, or brought unnecessary trauma and pain. He tweeted, I was wrong. So... Here's my take on this. As I mentioned, all of these wildly offensive tweets were posted between 2010 and 2013. Haynes is estimated to be between 30 and 35 years old. At least that's what it says online. We know the internet never lies. So that would mean he sent out these messages when he was in his early 20s. He's far from the first millennial, of course, with a history of malicious and bigoted social media posts. But here's the thing. Nearly five dozen tweets over a period of three years, is a lot. I mean, that's a lot of tweets. It's not just a few one time. It's at least 56 over a period of three years. I mean, that shows you that these were not just temporary lapses in judgment. It seems like hate speech was a regular part of Haynes' vocabulary. And of course, people can change from their early 20s to early 30s. People should change from their early 20s to their early 30s. I mean, what a shame it would be if we didn't evolve, right? I mean, my goodness. I I mean, I'm 29, and I feel like a completely different person than I was when I was 23, 24, 25, 26. So we get that, right? But again, 56 over three years, I should say at least 56 over three years, that is a lot. And you know, I do think in this situation, Haynes does have to address it. Um, Now, generally speaking, you know, and this has happened to me, I think the practice of unearthing someone's old tweets because they criticized your favorite basketball player is repugnant. I mean, again, Haynes criticized Steph Curry, Warriors fans dig up tweets, try to get him fired. I mean, these fans are likely not 
good-natured crusaders for gay rights. I mean, they're just fanboys who are upset that Haynes called out Curry for his premature celebrating. And that sucks. You know, that is something in our society that absolutely sucks. We talk about cancel culture. I mean, this is the worst of it, where a sports reporter, again, says an opinion about a player. Steph Curry, front runner. Oh, man. So now let's dig up all these old tweets and try to get him fired and try to cost his and try to ruin his livelihood. Like, it's repugnant. It's awful. It's odious. I hate it. That it's the most cowardly, one of the most cowardly things you can do to dig up someone's old tweets to try to get them in trouble because you don't like something that they said. That is horrible. So I do not condone this practice at all. However, again, that does not mean Hayes is a victim. 56 tweets, that's a lot. And Haynes can say he's sorry about the trauma they've caused, but he wasn't moved enough to delete them until he got caught. So, you know, what's the explanation there? Maybe Haynes forgot about the tweets. They were sent, again, between 9 and 10, 11 years ago. So maybe he did forget about the tweets, but that's not an excuse. That just further proves how ingrained homophobia is in our society uh, so that's why, you know, I'm sorry that about the trauma they've caused. Okay, well, apparently you didn't think about that over the last decade. You only thought about it until you got caught. And just last week on the show, we talked about a sports reporter out of Australia named Megan Barnard, who was crudely outed by a now-fired colleague. Ah, she's really hot, but she's a lesbian, lads. Sorry. And that me, you know, and that just shows the dearth of LGBTQ representation in sports media, especially broadcasting. And I don't know, Mark Haynes is not a, a big name. He's not like Adrian Wojnarowski or Shams Car- You know, he's not he's not one of these big national high-profile NBA reporters, but he is covering the Warriors, who for the last, you know, eight years or so, they've been to the finals six times, I think, over the last eight years. So they have been an absolute dynasty. And if you're a young Warriors fan or basketball fan and you somehow were on Mark Haynes' Twitter account and saw these tweets. I mean, how would that make you feel? And that's something that you always have to go back to. And this is something that we talked about a few months ago when we had a reader uh, send us over tons of anti-gay tweets from active NBA players that, again, were mostly all sent between, you know, 2007, 2013, 14, the players were almost all in their teenage years or early 20s when they sent out the tweets. So, you know, we're not saying that these players should be tarred and feathered for tweeting something stupid when they were 19 years old. But we wrote about the story and we talked about the story because this was a young gay NBA fan who was looking through the Twitter accounts of his favorite NBA players and saw these hateful tweets. And how do you think that makes him feel? So that's why we highlight these stories. Not an effort to get people fired. I don't want Mark Haynes to lose his job. Again, I would hope he changed from 21 to 31, or however old he is now. But it's worth pointing out when there are this many of them. I don't like the means as to how they got pointed out, because again, digging up someone's old tweets because they criticized your favorite basketball player is weak sauce. But... What's also weak is at least 56 hateful tweets. What's also weak is what that says about LGBTQ representation in sports media. And we have a problem with it. And tweets like these from a 
NBA reporter for the Warriors, the best team in the league for almost a decade now, uh, certainly does not help matters. So that's all I got for you this week. Thank you for listening to episode number 118 of the Sports Kiki, as always. You can feel free to hit me up on Twitter, at AlexDreamer1 is my username. That, again, is at AlexDreamer1. So long, everybody. We'll talk to you next, next Saturday for June Pride Month. Hooray.